0: We accidentally called this episode eight. It is, in fact, episode nine. Don't worry, you didn't get the same podcast two weeks in a row. I just got confused when we were naming the title.
1: Welcome back to The Middle of Medicine. This is episode eight, and I am one of your co-hosts, Aubrey Jones.
0: And I'm your other regular co-host, Peter Jones.
1: And today we have kind of a darker topic, but first, how are you doing, Dad?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I get to follow that up, huh? <laughs> I am yeah. doing fine. I'm doing all right. Um, and again, just going to remind everybody, com and feedback at com are two ways people can follow the podcast, subscribe to it. If you haven't already subscribed through your podcast player of choice and give us some feedback, let us know uh, how you think, uh, what you think about what we're doing, how we're doing, and if you have any recommendations, requests, suggestions of things that we could talk about in the future. Uh, But, but Aubrey is correct. I think today's topic is going to be, it's going to be a little heavier than some that we've had in the past. And I'm going to be very honest and uh, say that it's a little heavier because uh, it is something that is has affected and is uh, honestly currently affecting me uh, very, very much and, and in a very intense and personal way. So, you know, we'll see if this can be a little maybe therapeutic <laughs> for me. And yeah, uh, a bit of venting I- or something. You know, at some point, I'm just going to throw this out there. There might be some things I have to bleep, so I guess we'll find out, huh? <laughs> we will find out, in fact. <laughs> if I get really going, I'm I'm getting a piece of paper right now so that I can make down a little note of uh, the time stamp just in case I let something slip and need to know where I, I need to bleep things out so that I don't have to put an explicit tag on uh, Apple Podcast when I post this. <laughs>
1: That is great. But anyway, the topic of the day is burnout. And it's, I think we've, we we kind of mentioned it before in some previous episodes in a way, but.
0: And, and I'll be honest, we'll probably come back to it in other times because this yeah. is a subject that there's so much to talk about.
1: There's much to talk about. (laughs) I so much, in fact.
0: (laughs) I want to preface this by saying that you wrote an excellent research paper about burnout in healthcare that you sent to me, and uh I took some time and and read that yesterday, and and I thought you did a great job and make some really cogent points as to what the problem really is, and it highlights what one of the things I think we'll talk about today is why all of the current efforts to help with healthcare worker burnout are absolute dumpster fires made by people whose brains are garbage. I mean, I'm I'm just like, so, so yeah. why don't I kick this off by one of the things that started this? And and again, this is in our little um, list of articles that I kind of find during the week and save for us to talk about at different times. And this was from the AMA, the American Medical Association, and it was posted back on February 24th, 2022. And again, we held on to this for a few uh, weeks, I guess almost, well, exactly two months now, because we wanted to take this article and tie it into this greater discussion of burnout. And the article talks about how Congress passes the Dr. Lorna Breen Act to promote physician mental health. Uh, Dr. Lorna Breen, is a uh, she uh, sadly committed suicide in April of 2020 after a really intense stretch of treating COVID 19 patients at the beginning of the pandemic, and in in and amongst many of the things that the COVID 19 pandemic has done, and many of the ways in which it has uh, shined a light on some of the problems. In our infrastructure and society, and, and all these sorts of things, one of the things that really demonstrated was how absolute zero support there is for healthcare workers. There just is, there there is, and there continues to be no support for us. And and you know, Dr. Breen again, incredibly tragic story. Uh, she she was taking care of patients. She got COVID-19, had to have her mandatory time off, came back on. She was in New York in Manhattan and was just getting crushed and overworked and not assisted in any of the ways that she needed to be. And so in the midst of all of these, uh, these concerns and some depression and her, uh, her fears about losing her medical license, if she messed up, she didn't seek any help. And any any help, excuse me any any assistance with these mental health issues that thing that she was struggling with. And I'll tell you, as someone who knows, every two years when I have to renew my medical license, one of the questions that it asks is if there's been any change in your mental or emotion or physical health that would make it difficult for you to complete your job. And so there's this omnipresent fear that if we're having mental health struggles and we say yes to that, could the board of medicine say, well, we're not going to renew your license and you're right. out, that's it. And so in the midst of all this, you know, she, she ended up committing suicide. So, I mean, I don't know. Here's, here's the things that this bill does. The bill is designed to increase mental health infrastructure, supporting healthcare workers, in particular physicians. And it establishes some grants that are available for health professionals to create evidence-based strategies to reduce burnout and the secondary mental health conditions related to job stress. So again, grants so that we can spend extra time and energy trying to figure out how to fix it. How to fix what is not our problem. (laughs) Number two, a national campaign to encourage health professionals to prioritize their mental health and use available mental and behavioral health services. So basically an ad campaign to tell doctors and, and other healthcare workers, hey, it's okay to get help and and you should take care of yourself. And then yeah. some grants for employee education and peer support programming. So again, money available <laughs> to make it so that-
1: We can get more training on how to fix burnout.
0: <laughs> correct. So uh, I I read this and I would like to say, I was surprised at how misguided this is. Yeah. But I am not because in my experience, and here's where I am going to sound cynical and jaded and bitter. And at least I'd like to think I'm self-aware enough to know that I am all of those things right now. But I read this article and I thought to myself instantly, again, here is a perfect example of people who number one don't understand the problem with healthcare burnout. And number two, don't want to do a damn thing to fix it. Want to just put it back on us and say, you just fix it yourselves. And that's bullshit. Okay,
1: it's your problem. Yeah. It absolutely is. To the point where I wrote a 10 page paper about it. So.
0: <laughs> so, so talk to us about that 10 page paper, Aubrey. And and help our our listeners understand why this act, while well-intentioned, is so catastrophically misguided. Yeah, so... And and before you jump into that, tell me a little bit, uh, what led you to this? Why did you decide to write this paper? What was kind of the crux of this research paper? Kind of help us understand that.
1: Yeah, so I... As, like, I think quarterly as a healthcare worker, at least for Intermountain, where I work, um, we get these little mini trainings of sorts for our required education, and a lot of it's about, I noticed a lot of them was about, like, taking care of yourself and making sure you're doing all the self-care so that you can do your job correctly. And I remember thinking, yeah, this seems counterproductive, because if we're... Burnt out and tired from the job, why would you give us m- more job to do about how to fix, like, you know, like, you know, roundabout in a circle yeah. just did not fix anything? And so I am in this writing class and we were presented with this research paper assignment. And my professor was basically like, um, pick a problem with a topic that you're passionate about so you don't hate writing the paper. <laughs> and do research on it and usually whenever i have papers to write it always ends up being about medicine or something healthcare because <laughs> i just that's just what i turn to i mean that's why i'm pre-med there's a reason there <laughs> sure. um and so i've written a paper before on burnout but i figured i a research paper would be really good because i'm doing all this research on how burnout has affected other people and what other solutions other people have done and all across the world and that kind of thing. So basically the thesis of my paper was I was examining the actual issues that we face, the systemic issues we face, the negative effects of burnout, like basically just what that does to us and then the solutions or the failed solutions. That have been presented to us by our lovely administration. <laughs> so, yeah. So I I did some research on I, I I saw lots and lots of different sources from lots of different countries in Canada, in Egypt, in Saudi Arabia, in the UK, in just a bunch of different countries kind of examining just just basically what is so bad about the healthcare industry that is causing us to have burnout? Like, what is difficult about it? And I was just stating that out, and so I'll kind of talk about what I wrote, and you can discuss what what you see firsthand. Yeah, and please.
0: It's it, it's basically just. So what is the problem? To this what, paragraph. Well, maybe yeah. even before then, w- let's describe. I mean, people hear the word burnout, and I think we all. Have some idea of what it means to feel burned out. Oh yeah, because everybody <laughs> everybody gets burned out at times, right? And right. you know, but when we talk about burnout in healthcare, uh, what are we talking about?
1: Right. So my my definition that I put in my paper is from Mayo Clinic, and it is a state of physical or emotional exhaustion that also involves a sense of reduced accomplishment and loss of personal identity. Okay. How does that definition sound to you?
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I think that that is a succinct description of, of, of burnout. Yeah. So then why is burnout so dangerous in healthcare? Because I would posit that burnout is incredibly dangerous in healthcare.
1: Absolutely. Would you agree? Yeah. Absolutely. That was what also kick-started me writing this paper, is that when healthcare workers are burnt out, that affects the general public. That affects everybody. They're, yeah. like, like you, the listener, right now, it doesn't matter if you're in healthcare, you should care about it. Everybody should care about this, a spec- like, specifically in healthcare, because it affects everybody. Because the healthcare industry is taking care of the general public. That's the point. Yep. So. That was my first kind of lead in. And so. And, and
0: let me just yeah. tell you from, from my personal experience and, and seeing it again, you know, one of the whole points of this podcast was for us to look at topics and aspects of medicine with, you know, different points of view. You're yeah. kind of just getting into it. And and I've been in this for years. You know, I started volunteering in the hospital in an operating room and then got a full-time job in an operating room in like 1998, 1999. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I've been doing this for 24 years now. Okay. (laughs) And I will tell you that I have seen when physicians, when nurses, when healthcare workers in general start to feel burned out, they stop trying as hard because you can't do it anymore. You get to a point... We're continuing to try and maintain that same level of empathy, that same level of interest, that same level of just all of these things that we have to do to do our job well, to take care of people well. You don't have it in you anymore and you just can't do it as much or as well as you used to before you started to suffer burnout. And so the quality of healthcare drops. It just Mm -hmm. does. The care that people will receive will drop if burnout continues too long and is left untreated. Mm-hmm. And yep. for me personally, that's my biggest concern because I'm starting to feel these things of burnout. And, and I don't think, and I, look, I have talked to people around me and they know I am burned out because the last thing I want is for the quality of the care I deliver to decrease. So I'm making sure I'm telling everybody and I'm like, Hey, look, if you ever see something where you're like, you know what? This isn't up to you to To your standard of care, to I said you standard, need yeah. to you come to me and you tell me call immediately. me out, <laughs> call me out on that. And so, mm-hmm. so that is one of the things that I am trying to do is make sure that everybody around me knows. Hey, if you see any of this happening to me, I need you. I am asking you. I am begging you. Call me out on it. Let me know. Yeah. So that I can do something about it without it impacting actual care of people.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, and that was that was that's just the biggest problem with this is it affects the general public and so we can kind of go into what is so bad about it because i have a feeling that those who are not directly in healthcare don't necessarily know the actual they know long hours lots of education but then big bucks, but obviously there's a lot more to that as we can both <laughs> explain. So I kind of talked yeah, about so in my paper. So let's talk
0: about, talk about the mm-hmm. causes. Like what is, yes. what leads to burnout? Why is this happening?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I first kind of talked about in my paper, um, verbal and physical abuse from coworkers, administration and patients. And I kind of talked about this study that I found about, um, they were residents fresh out of medical school in Canada, um, and it just kind of examined their issues. Um, And these residents were, most of them were international students, so from all over the world, a lot of them, English was not their first language. And some of the struggles that they dealt with, specifically with verbal abuse, was from patients. Patients assumed that their accents from wherever they were from meant a lack of medical knowledge they would yell at them and say that they wanted a new doctor because they had an accent that made it harder to understand or something like that
0: i've seen it which is it's not only
1: racist but undermining the obvious knowledge and intelligence that these graduates have but whatever um The administration wouldn't take the time to orient the new residents to the units and the systems and how everything is run. So they're trying to learn computer systems and how the entire hierarchy works while being fresh out of medical school and just jumping into the new workforce anyways. So administration isn't helping them out. They aren't being trained on the technology. And so they are trying to figure that out. That's being set up for failure in the first place.
0: Yeah,
1: They're getting yelled at by administration for not knowing how to work the system, which obviously doesn't make sense. Of course not. They,
0: which is why it makes sense that the mm-hmm. administration would do it. Mm-hmm.
1: Coworkers were not being helpful to them and would yell at them and throw discriminatory comments at them for not knowing immediately how everything worked, which obviously isn't good. <laughs> um, and that was just like one study yeah. that I looked at. And I saw another one that was about new nursing graduates being bullied by coworkers, again, for being new and not knowing how everything works immediately. Being yelled at by patients, being yelled at by administration for not getting everything done perfectly in the time it needed to be done, that kind of thing. So there's verbal and physical abuse. I would like to hear what what you say.
0: (laughs) Well, so I have seen, to the point of the FMGs, uh, foreign medical graduates, the racism is strong in this country. And is not exclusive to FMGs. Uh, there's no question that they do get some of that discriminatory behavior because, because of their accents, because English may not be their first language. Uh, but I have seen patients look at a resident who was talking to them and then turn to me, the white dude in the room, and be like, I, I, I don't understand what they just said. And I'm like, oh are you effing kidding me? Yeah. This person is from Chicago, oh. but they're brown. And so you instantly, instantly decided you couldn't understand them. I have literally seen that happen.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: And so if that happens with people who speak perfect English for whom English is their first language. Yeah. Imagine how much more people for whom English is not their first language are going to have to put up with. Yeah. But also, interestingly, I worked with some residents and some fellow co workers from Iceland. Okay. They had quite strong accents. Mm hmm. But they're white. Mm. Nobody ever questioned them. Of course. Ever. So of that's just, not. I mean, that's just one of those problems that's inherent in. In society, and yeah, that's And spills one. over into medicine. I, I mean, it's just again, right. back to that topic. Like I have seen it, yes. Like just not being given, and you know, we talked a little bit a couple of weeks ago in in the episode that, um, that that recently got posted. You know, I had a, pa- a patient who was verbally abusive towards me because I refused to do their surgery in an unsafe way. Yeah. I had a patient who called and was making ridiculous demands, demanding things that, again, were unsafe, that were not appropriate, and in one case was actually illegal. And when we refused, called and left this long voicemail that was just like, and Dr. Jones and Dr. So-and-so, my partner at the time, can F off and die. And I'm just like, wow. I mean, I had another patient who was talking about if they got a bill. That they, and he was trying to be funny, but he was like, well, you know, and if I get a bill for this, I'll just have to show up with my gun. And I was like, are you kidding uh, me? Like, I mean, I went and talked to risk management about it. I talked to the lawyers at the hospital. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm not, I'm not letting him back in my clinic.
1: Yeah, no. Yeah. And no, I I had a patient one time where, I mean, the patient was a small child who was an angel, but the parents of the patient, the parent was basically like oh I know you said that this family member of mine isn't allowed to show up because of all these cases or whatever Yeah. but I'm gonna have them show up even though you told me not to we were like we will call security if you do that and they were like well that sucks like we're gonna do it anyways and I'm gonna make sure he barges through the doors and make sure he gets past all of your security and I was like "Uh, what excuse me Like just, just the, just the audacity.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's one of just, just one of many reasons why burnout is so prevalent. Yeah, one of many. Yeah. And again, like (laughs) I, I work people in my schedule all the time. I am double booked every single day I'm in clinic. There are times when I am triple booked because I'm the only one in my specialty at you know where i am and we still get complaints from patients who had to wait one week to see me when they had the option to see my one of my app's the very same day they called but they chose to wait to see me i worked them in triple booked myself and then we still get complaints about uh, about that it took them a, a week or two yeah to be seen
1: yeah yeah. <laughs> I'm just astounded. Anyway. Uh, I used to be. <laughs> one of the many.
0: No
1: yeah. One of the many problems. But I. We can kind of talk about another one specifically physician related because obviously you have yes, experience in this. But I saw a study that was done in Egypt on the prevalence of burnout in specifically physicians. And how, like, physicians deal with the most pressure from administration um, because they're expected to take on more work, work longer hours, because y'all are one of the highest roles in the medical hierarchy. And especially in Egypt, where there's a bunch of, a lot of underfunded hospitals, leads to financial struggles, leading to poor administration, a worse support system for the physicians, and They weren't getting paid enough, and even if they were, they were expected to stay after they were done with everything, stay after work to finish notes, finish paperwork, take on extra patients, like you just said, double, triple book themselves, stretch themselves completely thin, and with all of this, they're not getting any support from administration, and administration was expecting them to be superheroes and superhuman and take on all of these things that obviously a normal person can't. Do well, you know?
0: Yeah,
1: And that obviously stretches the doctors thin and turns it into burnout because they're getting so emotionally exhausted. So, I mean, I know we already kind of talked about double booking patients and stuff, but tell me your thoughts.
0: <laughs> Perfect example. Uh, a week or so ago, I was questioned by administration at our hospital about the fact that we had that I did fewer surgeries in 2021 than I did in 2020, mm. and and I I was asked to justify that, and I was basically oh. like, look, for like the first eight years that I worked here, I and this is not a good thing, generally only took three of my six weeks of vacation, yeah, and I took four and a half last year, and so I I, I said look yeah, you're going to have fewer cases if I'm actually taking the time to try and not burn myself out. And from yeah. a production standpoint, I still did. I produced way more last year than I'm contracted for. And than I was quote expected to. And yet, because there right. was this decrease in the number of cases, I'm they're being like, questioned oh, by administration wrong? that they're like, well, why? What's happening here? I, I, I don't know what else to say other than these people are the worst. Yeah. Like they are. I, I mean, I'm sorry. They're There's the just worst.
1: a disconnect there
0: somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's to put it nicely. This is where I'm trying to self censor because I want to right. drop every single expletive I can think of to describe how much animosity I feel towards hospital yeah. administrators and healthcare yeah. administrators.
1: Just censor it with some funny sound that's really long so you can just let out a long string of swear words and then it'll I mean, s- make a funny TikTok sound or something. I don't know. <laughs> right. I'll have to find some. Oh,
0: just, it just, mm. they are just a bunch of. Mm-hmm, 2807, mm. writing that down. Mm. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Leave that part in. Leave the 2807 in. (laughs) I will. I will. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. That's just like, that's just with physicians. Like, that's just with one role where there is so many other roles where this kind of thing is happening to. Like, ugh. It's just ridiculous. It is just ridiculous. It is. (laughs) Straight up ridiculous. It's not just ridiculous. It's like I said earlier,
0: it's bullshit.
1: No, it's horrible, and it is – anyway, so moving on. There's <laughs> <laughs> this one's more for me specifically, but I'm sure you worked in a position very similar to mine, so I'm, you have experience with this too. But another problem that leads to burnout is workplace injury, which yeah. is very common in bedside nurses and nursing assistants, which is what I am yep. because – we're right there directly with the patient lifting them moving things caring for them dealing with agitated patients patient transfers all that kind of thing like for example yesterday i was working and i got kicked in the face where my glasses flew off my head and landed across the room and it's a miracle they're not broken right now oh
0: my goodness
1: (laughs) <laughs> Anywho so <laughs> there's there's when like a nurse or a nursing assistant is working a night shift or working on a usual day off or it is near the end of a really long shift there's a higher higher likelihood of injuries because they're tired and they no. don't want to be there and mistakes might they might kind of slip up and kind of have bad. Body mechanics is always what they use (laughs) for when we're lifting people and stuff. (laughs) But what I specifically saw in my research is that these types of injuries happening, even if it's not super common, it causes excessive anxiety when people go to work because they're like, I'm going to get hurt today. I'm going to, something's going to happen. Or I have to deal with a really difficult patient today and I will probably get hurt. And that excess anxiety, as someone who deals with excess anxiety daily, it is so, so emotionally exhausting. And that's not even counting if you get injured.
0: Well, you know, and this comes back to kind of a physiologic aspect of burnout. When we feel this constant anxiety, this stress, in whatever situation you're in, you know, we sort of biologically... If we think about primitive man, and really primitive man's not even that long ago, realistically, but you mm-hmm. think about more primitive Homo sapiens, right? When you know what were your stresses? Your stresses was like, is this animal going to kill me? Yeah, am I going to be able to find poison me? <laughs> right, am I going to find enough food to survive the winter? And those sorts of things, mm-hmm. and. And so when we're in a stressful situation and we need to respond to it, our body's going to secrete cortisol because cortisol is our stress hormone. And that is the, right. you you know, that's where we're hopefully going to be able to use that. And it's going to activate our flight or fright response and is going to give us that, that ability to, to find the food, to, to, to fight the animal, to run away from the, whatever, to keep ourselves alive. Okay. Mm -hmm. We don't usually have to deal with those sorts of stresses anymore. Like that's right. not the stress that we're facing. Right. And so, but our body doesn't know that. Our biology doesn't know that. And so our biology says, well, our breathing, you know, were there's something wrong? Fight mm-hmm. or flight. And so we release cortisol. And so we walk around in this constant, you know, sympathetic nervous system response where we're ready to go. At any moment,
1: we're ready to fight. We're ready to to run as fast as we can.
0: <laughs> exactly, and and so that makes significant physiologic changes on our bodies. Right, like it it breaks it them down. It instantly, it, it totally does. And so, not only are you potentially going into situations where you could get some type of workplace injury. Mm-hmm. But you're worried about it. So you're in a stress response setting. So your body already, your muscles, you're, you're carrying more tension in your body. And so that mm-hmm. right there, your body mechanics are gone. Like they're just mm-hmm. not going to be as good because you're carrying right. this constant tension. So you're now more mm-hmm. prone to injury. And so it's this self replicating cycle where, mm-hmm. because you're worried about safety, physical safety in the workplace, you're stressed, you're tense. You're more prone to suffer some type of physical injury in the workplace Mm -hmm. and on and on and on.
1: It just goes and yeah, it just goes around and around. And that's just not only is your like you're worried about getting a workplace injury, but then when you do, you're going to be just that much more worried when you get in a similar situation like that. Like we had a nurse a couple like a month ago or something like. Pull like blew out her back somehow, like her back is like destroyed somehow, mm-hmm. some awful strain or whatever. Because I think she was just lifting a difficult patient or something, and something happened. But totally. then, not only when you sustain an injury. You are physically exhausted because your body's trying to fight off the injury. You're emotionally exhausted because you're like, crap, I can't work or I can't work as well because I'm injured. And then you're worried about money and then you're worried about missing what, you know, and then it just snowballs from there and is a very, very common cause of burnout, especially in nurses and nursing assistants. But what are are your other thoughts on this?
0: Well, so that's actually one of, one of the reasons why I have ever since residency and, and continue to do so, except on the days when, you know, I have two rooms and I'm flip-flopping or I've got some other urgent thing I need to take care of. I always try and stay in my room until the patient is moved off of the operating room table onto the, or bed off to, uh, to their stretcher or their, their bed if they're going to be admitted. And part of that is just the fact that there are some exceptions, but most of the staff in the operating room, you know, we've got, we've got a couple guy, uh, male uh, surge techs um, and one who's, you know, big, strong guy. Uh, Mm -hmm. And we have a few male nurses, but there's a handful and at least equal numbers of female nurses and more female techs than there are male techs. And, and they're not Mm -hmm. very big. And when a, patient is still under general anesthesia and they're moving off of the OR table onto a stretcher or something. I mean, they're just dead weight That's dead weight. <laughs> and so I always try and stay and help get them over there and move because I'm a big dude and I'm like, it's right. going to be easier for me than it is, you know, this person who is literally half my size trying mm-hmm. to move this patient over. And, and there's, you know, we have things to make that easier and safer, like hover mats and this, that, and the other. But right. at the same time, I'm like, you know, I, I know that's a real thing. And, and it constantly I'm worried about OR staff who are much, much smaller than me. And in many times trying to move patients who are much, much larger than them, you know, I don't want them to get injured. And so I'm yeah. extremely cognizant of that. And that's one of the reasons I stay in the room and I don't leave until I've moved that patient over.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm a pretty tall, large human being when it comes to the rest of my coworkers. And so <laughs> I've I'm always asked to help when it comes to like a like a larger patient or some situation where they just need help. And <laughs> I've seen a lot of my coworkers, they see that I'm there to help and then they dip.
0: And they're like, oh, oh yeah. I've just got
1: it. And right. I'm like, no.
0: <laughs> You're I like, I, don't I didn't come it. to do it. I came to <laughs> help you. Do
1: it. Like if this patient falls off this little gurney right now, it. Like I can't hold her. Sorry. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> My bench is a lot, but it's not that much. <laughs> so. <laughs> like I can't deadlift that much. Sorry. Like I can't deadlift <laughs> a human being, but thanks for right. being confident in me. <laughs> but then no, it's just it's so I get stuck in these in these situations where I <laughs> It's like four times a day where If I'm wearing a sweatshirt, I take it off. If my hair is down, I put my hair up because I know that if I'm going in to help with this patient, I'm going to be sweating. I'm going to be squatting down, holding Uh this patient, trying to lift them off the floor. It's just... And obviously, I don't struggle as much as some people who are smaller than me do. But that's still like a very prevalent thing where I got to make sure that I'm not... My leg's not in a weird way or my hamstring's going to get pulled if I bend down. Or my back is not in a weird way where... It's going to get sore or something like that. Totally. And obviously, I don't have to, I don't deal with burnout as much as a lot of other people do, but that's something that not only the other things we've talked about, it's a source of stress. It's a source of stress that it all just accumulates and leads to burnout. So, yeah. Anyway, so next in my paper, I kind of talked about the effects of burnout on kind of brain psychology and what you what you do as a person suffering from burnout, what automatically tends to happen. We kind of talked about this already, but we can go into more depth about it because we have this three-part model, according to this source I found, of burnout. And the first is emotional exhaustion. And obviously, we've okay. talked about a lot of these things cause emotional exhaustion, but another one is... The constant human contact at work, no matter how (laughs) extroverted you are, that will tire you out by talking to people for 12 hours.
0: (laughs) Uh, So I laugh because, you know, (laughs) I am not an extrovert. Yeah. I am an introvert. And as part of my own personal mental health journey, one of the things That has significantly impacted me in the last few years is that my, what used to be kind of low key social anxiety that pretty standard that I think most introverts experience has now turned into a raging beast that is (laughs) uh, at sometimes almost controlling my life. I have what I often refer to, uh, to people when I'm talking to about it, I would say almost near crippling social anxiety. And I'm really, really good at completely hiding that at work. Most people at work have no idea. But get me outside of work and I immediately shut down. And it has made it incredibly difficult for me to, to have any friends. Uh, it has made it incre- I mean, uh, just the idea of interacting with people in a social setting, um, it, 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 it totally will induce a panic attack in me. And so, yeah, I mean, imagine that's how you feel, but for eight, 10, 12, 14, 16 hours straight, you have to bury that and you have to interact with people and you have to be positive and you have to, you have to communicate clearly and you have to do all this. It, I feel like I'm pretty good at it because nobody knows that unless I tell them about me, but it is something that I feel constantly.
1: Yeah. And, and I, I know we've mentioned this before, but I have also developed severe social anxiety and I'm become an introvert in the last eight Which months.
0: bizarre and, you know, it's, sad, it's a sad thing. Well, I don't know. I think it started before then. I, we're going to blame COVID.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: I think some Two of years. it developed when you all of <laughs> a sudden went from, you know, being able to go and hang out and you were dancing all the time. You're around people constantly to all of a sudden, boom, you were shut in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And now it's, I mean, it, it makes it hard for me to make friends. It makes it hard for me to even want to make friends because I'm like, I'm just tired. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to talk Oh to yeah.
0: People. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. I totally get that.
1: Yeah. And
0: <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest. It is, it, it is in the last few, in the last month or two, I've kind of been part of getting together a group of people from the operating room who we play Dungeons and Dragons. And most of us had never played D and D before. And we have somebody helping us who's been playing it for decades and oh, is, awesome. is an amazing DM and he, he's, he's just doing such a good job of helping a bunch of us newbies through it. But even though these are all people that I work with and I know them from work and, and I have good relationships with them and I get along with them and I would consider these people friends still, Man, I pull up to his house on a Saturday afternoon and I have to sit there and I have to, mm-hmm. okay, I got to breathe. Okay, I'm gonna be okay. And then okay. just <laughs> go do it and just go and yeah. get in there. And once I get in there, I'm okay. Cause again, it's, it's this group of good people and, right. and they're all wonderful, amazing people. But, you know, I, I uh, this is literally the first time in my adult life that I can recall having done something with friends. Yeah. Yeah. On a semi regular basis. Because it's so hard for me mm-hmm. and, and has only gotten worse through all of the last couple of years with everything that's been going on.
1: Yeah, no, I feel that. And, and especially with moving to college and being with new people, it was really, really hard for me to make friends. And at this point I have like one friend, which it's a good friend, but when she wants to go hang out with other people, I'm like, really, do you want
0: to, like, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> It's okay, it. don't, don't get old like me yet. You're too young to get old like me, Aubrey. Right. Yeah. At 45, people don't expect me to have any sort of life, but I'm too young for
1: that. <laughs> yeah, but just like, just like the emotional exhaustion, but I feel that too. Like I go to work and I'm okay to be happy and smiling and talking to the patients and their families and talking to my coworkers. But the second I get my lunch break, and I put in my headphones and I'm like watching a show or something for my lunch break. If someone talks to me, I genuinely feel so grumpy. I'm like <laughs> I have detached from my like literally detached myself <laughs> from everything right now. I cannot like I literally cannot fathom the words right now to talk to you. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> nope. Get it. Totally get that.
1: But anyway, so the first
0: there's a, there's another aspect uh-huh. of this and and um. You know, this kind of came up when I was talking to uh, one of the anesthesiologists that uh, I, I work with. And, and he's actually, uh, you know, he's one of the friends that's in this D&D group. But we were talking about the secondary trauma that we experience as healthcare workers. Mm-hmm. And what do I mean by secondary trauma? I want everybody who's listening to imagine being told they have cancer that's a difficult thing to hear. Mm -hmm. It shuts you down a little bit. Mm -hmm. That is a traumatic experience. Yeah. Now, imagine telling a half dozen people every week that they have cancer. Mm -hmm. That's secondary trauma. Mm -hmm. That is not as traumatic an experience as being the one given that diagnosis. No question about it. But in an effort to feel empathetic, And to help this individual, you are experiencing a portion of that trauma as well. And you are experiencing it over and over and over again. And in our jobs, we can go from being with someone as they experience the happiest moment of their life to being with someone as they experience the saddest and most traumatic experience of their life. And we have to do that multiple times a day, multiple times a week, and sometimes back to back to back. And that kind of emotional toll absolutely tears you up inside. It
1: just destroys you, I'm sure. And just having to do it over and over and over again is just... It takes a toll on your brain and your heart and your soul and it leads you to this place where, lucky enough, the next part of burnout is depersonalization, where the worker is detached from their work and detached from the reason why they're doing it. So tell me more about this because I don't, I haven't experienced that yet. Hopefully I don't have to for a while (laughs) because I just started working there like six months ago. (laughs) Um, But tell me about this like sense of depersonalization or I guess a lack of empathy goes along with that as well.
0: So when you routine, well, not just routinely, but whenever you have to have a difficult conversation like that with somebody, whenever you have to deliver bad news, whenever you have to do that kind of thing to protect yourself you have to disconnect a little be, at least some portion, a little bit of your humanity from that conversation. You have to go in and you have to look at it as, uh, I'm having a biology conversation now to some degree. And you still want to empathize and you want to make sure that you're listening to their concerns, that you're giving the individual some time to process, that you're going through all these things that we're we're sort of trained to do, but we're also trained really, really poorly how to deal with. So a lot of this, You kind of have to figure out on your own, which is also bullshit, but you know, you cannot completely sympathize with that person. You can empathize, but there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Empathy is understanding what someone's feeling. Sympathy is feeling what someone is feeling. And so you can't sympathize with them. You can empathize, but you have to put up some barriers because we get so used to putting up these barriers. And depersonalizing these conversations to some degree because we have to, because I have to go into that room and I have to have that cancer conversation with somebody. And sometimes it's a, hey, you've got cancer and I can help cure you. Mm -hmm. Here's what I can do to cure your cancer. And that's an okay conversation. But almost just as often, it's a conversation of, you have cancer and we can't cure it anymore. So here's here's what I can do to help make whatever time you have left as comfortable and as pleasant as possible. And then I have to immediately leave that room and walk right across the hall into another room, or I have to interact with someone who needs to have absolutely zero idea that I just had that conversation with somebody else. Mm -hmm. I cannot carry that baggage with me into that other patient's room. And so you have to depersonalize to some degree. And so once you start getting burned out, the pitfall is that that depersonalization becomes more extreme mm. and more common and and just more prevalent to the point that now not only are we not sympathizing with an individual but now we start failing to empathize with the individual because you just can't right like we all have a finite amount of empathy and we have a finite amount of emotional of emotional and mental energy And when that well of empathy and emotional energy is being drained constantly and there's no time to refill it or what little time you have in which you would try to refill it is simply trying to exist to the next day where you can do it all over again, you just get to this point where at some point there's nothing left and you can't help but depersonalize. Because that well of empathy is empty.
1: Yeah. And we'll get to this later, but there's, it's not like administration helps at all. There's no support there
0: at all. (laughs) It's not like they even
1: care. No, nothing. There's nothing there. No support.
0: They don't. (laughs) They don't even care. They don't even care.
1: No. Um, the third part of this three part model of burnout is a lessened sense of personal accomplishment and i <laughs> i don't necessarily feel it cuz i'm burnt out i just feel it cuz i'm like am i good at my job <laughs> 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 i'm still learning so but tell me if you have you felt this and do you think it's caused by burnout like i don't know tell me your thoughts 100%
0: Yeah, totally. Um, I'm I'm a really good surgeon. I am. I I mean technically I'm a very good surgeon. Yeah, you are. (laughs) (laughs) But it is you stop feeling that. Yeah. Because you stop having satisfaction in what you're doing because that well is empty. And because you have had you've been pushed so far and you've been asked to do so much for so long that you can still do a good job, but you don't feel like you did a good job. It just isn't there. And I've been in situations where I've had people are like, wow, that surgery went great. That was really nice. That looked good, great job, this, that, and the other. And I appreciate their comments, but I don't feel a single word they're saying.
1: Yeah. I had a patient the other day, this isn't necessarily my experience, but a nurse, who I know pretty well that I know she's pretty burnt out. She basically this patient couldn't, it was all a psychological thing, not really a physical thing. It was a, I mean, neurotrauma unit. So she's in our unit for a reason. <laughs> this is a neuro thing. She wouldn't walk. She couldn't hold herself up. She couldn't eat. She couldn't talk. Um, basically couldn't do anything. And by the end of yeah. this nurse's shift, She was speaking in full sentences. She, this patient was speaking in full sentences, was eating a full meal and holding herself up in her chair. That's amazing. And that, I don't know what sort of magic she worked that day, but I was like, wow. (laughs) But this nurse at the end of the day was telling me about it. And I was like, wow, like, what did you do? And she was like, oh, I don't know. And I was like, well, good job. Like, that's amazing. And she was like, yeah, thanks. And I I know she was kind of going through burnout. And so it's just so sad because you can go through and do something amazing and help someone so much. But because you're so tired of having to do that so much and not getting any support, it doesn't feel good anymore. Like you forget yeah. why you're doing it in the first place.
0: It's true. You really do.
1: Which is just awful because there's a reason why we all get into healthcare in the first place. And if you're losing the why... Then like, what's the point? You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Um, it's such a problem. And like you said, I, here, here's my suggestion for you. We've talked for a bit now and I think that it might be good for us to in two weeks, follow this up with a second conversation that is more about the, the solution. And, Kind of our thoughts as to why the current recommendations, for example, why that Dr. Lorna Breen uh, uh, bill is is not addressing the actual problem. Um, what do you yeah, think about absolutely. that? I absolutely, mean, let's you, you do really it. Feel all right with that yeah. decision because because it's a, such an important discussion. Can
1: we talk about it now. This this I episode will be to... Like two and a half hours long. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it will be, and you know that that seems a little excessive. I mean, I listen to some podcasts that are two plus hours long, but not everybody has kind of the podcast stamina that I have. And I know that part of that's because I've listened to podcasts for so many years. Nerd, I've got this podcast stack because I am a huge nerd. <laughs> um, you know, c- can you believe this? The other day we were talking about this Dungeons and Dragons groups and getting together, and somebody who was in the break room at the OR kind of looked at us and was like, "You guys are such nerds." <laughs> And we like all looked at each other, and we were like, "Do you think you're telling us something we don't already know?" Because <laughs> I'm like, "We we know, we yeah, know this, we, we know like, this, we're aware." And 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 not only do we know this. We're okay with yeah. this. We're embracing this. We have accepted this aspect of ourselves. I mean, when I was a kid, man, if you'd have called me a nerd, I mean, I was still a nerd. But if you would have told me that, if you would have You're called like, me oh. a nerd, I would have been hurt. I would have I been so sad. You. And now somebody calls me a nerd and I'm like, yeah, no <laughs> crap. I mean, geez, come on. <laughs> You're just now figuring this out? Well, anyway. Anyway.
1: No, that sounds like a good We great don't want to get
0: to... We don't want to get too long, but I really think that this is a conversation we need to have because I'm going to give a teaser. Mm. And that is, as you have so clearly delineated and defined in your research paper, burnout in healthcare is a systemic problem. Mm-hmm. And no solution that I have ever heard offered is a systemic solution. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to leave it there. Yep. And we're going to come back around to this in two weeks. Yes. And we're going to talk about that more. We're going to talk about some of the failed solutions that I have seen. We're going to talk about some of the more stuff that you've looked into in your research paper, because this is super important. Literal lives are at stake here. Yep. And I don't feel like this is something that is being addressed in the general public. It certainly isn't something that is being adequately addressed in healthcare settings. And I think that it is, the huge tragedy of healthcare in the uh, 21st century has been our complete and abject failure of supporting healthcare workers. Agreed. <laughs> I, couldn't How's <laughs> I couldn't say that dramatic. I couldn't say by myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm throwing it out there. Boom! There's the hook. That's the bait. That's on the end of the hook. So hopefully. You know, I think this is an important conversation. Obviously, I feel passionate about this. I know you do too. Mm-hmm. I am proud of you. I am, I am so happy that this is something that, you know, even if it's in a freshman, you know, in writing course yeah. thing that, you know, bring this to light. We've got to talk about this. We've got to get this out there. I'm already trying to think of how do we get this podcast episode out there yeah. to let other folks hear about it if for no other reason than to kind of understand the gravity of this situation Mm -hmm. because, you know, look, speaking from a urology standpoint, because of burnout, there are about 9,000 urologists in the country. And to meet the needs of the population, we should have 18,000 of us. Think about that for a little bit. And in two weeks, we'll talk about this some more.
1: If you can't see my face, I'm making a really just blank, very <laughs> stare. So I know it's an audio medium, but that was the face I was making at that statistic. <laughs>
0: I could see it. So I I felt it.
1: <laughs> well, we appreciate everybody for listening.
0: Yeah, and thank you for yeah. your research. Thank you for of helping course. bring this up. And and like I said, next, next time too, we're going to get into uh, Ryan Shelton. I told him that I'd drop his name because he was the one that came up with it. We're going to talk about... Again, how this, in part, the relationship between hospital administration and healthcare workers is that of an abuser and an abusee. Mm-hmm. And that uh, we're, we're going to go into that a little bit, too. Yeah. So.
1: We appreciate everybody for tuning in and, and appreciate we everyone do. for like, giving their feedback. You know, give us wink, a, wink.
0: <laughs> right. And leave us a review. We would love a five-star review, mm-hmm. I think, especially, you know, with episodes like this. Five-star review material right here. Hopefully pod. people who are listening feel the same and uh, share it. Get the word out there. Let's see. If if you find what we're doing interesting, please let somebody know about it. Yeah. Uh, we sure appreciate those who are subscribed, who are listening, and share it with others. Help us out because I think we're talking about some important things here.
1: Yeah, for sure. We'll be back in two weeks for a hopefully – solution-based, maybe more positive. I don't know. We'll see how angry we get. It <laughs> depends <laughs> on the day and the mood.
0: <laughs> we'll try. We'll try. <laughs> At least I'll say that we'll try. We'll
1: try. But it's important stuff. But thanks for sitting down with me and chatting about this. Appreciate everybody for listening you. and see y'all in two weeks.
0: Okay. Thanks again.